for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Propaganda versus the truth. You're with Swedish-British journalist Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Hi, welcome to the Pella Neuroth-Taylor Show, where truth resides. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Macron's uh, talk about sending troops to uh, Ukraine. I thought about it yesterday and a few days. It's it's a sensational statement that's really opened up what they call the Overton window, which is Overton window is an expression for what you're allowed to talk about in the public debate. And what worries me is that uh, even pe- people disagree with it. Uh, a lot of commentators who realize that starting World War Three is not going to go down well with their publics are still sort of skirting around the issue and saying, well, maybe we can do things short of starting World War Three. But I mean, I worry that I mean, sending in medical assistance and maybe troops to guard the the west Western Ukraine, and there's an admission that special forces from the West are already in Ukraine and uh, people manning the um, some of the missile batteries. So the argument is sort of, well, you know, we've already got this, although they've kept it secret so far in the mainstream media and the politicians, but now they're admitting it. So what harm can a few extra troops do? And I'm worried that this salami slicing technique is going to lead to uh, more and more troops. Now, I speculated uh, yesterday whether uh, Macron uh, was just saying it so that um, he could get, he kind of stitched it up with the other European leaders who absolutely categorically refused to send in troops in order to send a signal to the Ukrainians that no, we're not going to go in to save Ukraine. And maybe to all the various intelligence agencies on both sides, both, both the Ukrainian, the Russian and the Western intelligence agencies, just don't think of doing any false flags or monkey business to get us into war because it ain't going to happen. And Macron has kind of agreed this with the leaders who said no. He was kind of presenting it there so that it could be struck down. Now I'm not so sure, actually. I think that maybe he, maybe he was serious. I mean, uh, the Daily Telegraph's French correspondent today said, well, that's just Macron. He's not a serious guy. And he comes up with all these ideas uh, to compensate for France's weakening geopolitical heft, especially because the French have given very little aid to Ukraine. And he's kind of got this diplomatic... Uh, uh, firing his behind to kind of compensate for that, but don't take him seriously. But I'm sort of thinking is maybe he is to be taken seriously because he hasn't really backed down. And his prime minister uh, sort of said, well, yes, but maybe it's going to happen. Uh, and then he, he admitted that it might be just medical forces. And some of the East European countries have been conspicuously silent. Thank God Poland and Czech Republic, Poland the most important, of course, said, no, we're not going to do that. But some of the Baltic states have been quiet. And Romania, which is uh, the closest France has to an ally in Eastern Europe, because they speak a related Latinate language, I think. And uh, Romania is close to uh, another potential conflict zone, which is Moldova and uh, Transdenistria, too complicated to talk about. And it's near to the Crimea of all the East European countries. So I worry that could be a jump off point and the Romanians could participate in the French expeditionary force to Ukraine. All these are worrying and possible. Um, I think that the, the two reasons I've been reading up on the financial politics of Europe. Uh, one is that uh, France is supporting the European Commission in its desire to issue euro bonds, which is a way of getting money for trans-European projects and which will be administered by the European Commission, which is very pro-French in its proclivity because the European Commission is like, was modeled on the French civil service and French Eurocrats. Uh, European Eurocrats are kind of modeled on the on the French bureaucracy and everybody knows about France. They're very good at doing these 
large infrastructure projects. I mean, the TGV and the Concorde and the Airbus and um, the, the, all these are as French as, you know, baguettes and brie. And uh, the French, in my time in Brussels, were always wanting to spend European money on these last vast projects. The sort of infrastructure capitalism that we've seen uh, in China uh, doing so successfully, instead of this financial capitalism that the, the, the West and the American, Britain, which don't kind of generate real prosperity, but uh, create a sort of unequal society with a lot of billionaires and rentiers. So he's probably going to, I think there's a there's a motive to issue these Europons and spend that money in the name of the German taxpayer, basically, and spend that money on uh, bigging up uh, massively the European uh, defense forces and infrastructure. So we're going to be in a cold war with Russia at best for the next 50 years, but we're going to big up our AI capabilities, our defense capabilities, and all our technology capabilities, which we've so, so far outsourced to America and Europe will once again become an independent power in charge of its own destiny. Uh, there's a lot to be said to, for us to be independent of America. And we are sort of, we are their vassals in the sense. And when they bomb Nord Stream, we just have to sort of nod and smile. Uh, but I'm not sure this is the way to do it. I think it's dangerous. I think it's going to give the whip hand to more belligerent East Europeans who want to start a war with Russia. And it could easily spill over. I think we need a more sort of... Um, Basically, a political diplomatic solution uh, with with the Russians, you know, uh, even though you can't really say that in polite European society. But I think it's going to have to be something that like that. And it can't be Macron. But I think the other Macron uh, motivation, French motivation, is a huge panic about what's going on in West Africa, which has been an Afri um, a French protectorate in a way for 60 years, even though they're nominally independent. Uh, the French have exploited like uranium from Niger for their extensive nuclear program. And now these countries are turning to Russia, the, what used to be known as the Wagner Group, but which is now amazing. And it's called the Africa Corps. The, Afri the Russian Africa Corps is placing its mercenaries or soldiers or whatever, all over West Africa, uh, French-speaking colonies like Mali and Niger, I think, and, and uh, Libya as well. Libya wasn't a French-speaking colony, but I think that one of the main reasons for the Libya war uh, was that the French resented the fact that uh, Gaddafi wanted to take control over North and West Africa with his uh, gold dinar or something. And that was encroaching on French interests. So uh, if, you, if you mess with the French African empire, informal empire, you're really angering the French. And I think that is a motive. We can't be discounted for the belligerence. So let us not discount the possibility of World War Three starting over an African issue and French sensitivities in that area. Anyway, uh, so that's that sobering little analysis. And we've got uh, Basil Valentine, our news producer, with us after the break. This is TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. 
There are opportunity zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a, a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Pelineroff Taylor Show. We've got our news producer, Basil, to talk about today's other news. What's going on, Basil? Tell us a little bit. Patargate, Pele. Have you heard mm. of it? I have, but only vaguely. I, you know? I don't think many people have. That's the point. No. A huge corruption scandal that could engulf as many as one in every four members of the European Parliament. Hundreds of lawmakers now under investigation for corruption. The latest wow. name to be dragged into the scandal, that of Belgian socialist MEP Maria Arena. Mm -hmm. Belgian detective That's incredible. As a suspect. Go on. Yeah. Well, what's going on? Because, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that floats past in the headlines, but I've never bothered to, to read it, read up on it. But uh, anything that kind of gets the European Parliament and holds them to account is uh, welcome. Are they, are they um, well, what's happening? Are they going to be uh, investigated or, and what, why is it called Qatargate? Well, because it's about alleged cash for favours schemes involving payments by Qatar and Morocco to members of the European Parliament to improve their images, basically. Uh, it's mm -hmm. reached as far as the former vice president of the European Parliament, Eva Kaili, um, mm -hmm. who is in jail. Who knew? Uh, we don't see this sort of thing much in the corporate media. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, vice president of the European Parliament is a very senior position, and mm -hmm. she was denied bail following mm -hmm. allegations of corruption, membership of a criminal organization, and wow. money laundering. Extraordinary. Wow. And the wow. investigation also focuses on her partner, Francesco mm. Giorgi, a mm. parliament and a parliamentary staffer, former Italian socialist MEP Pier Antonio Panzeri. In 2019, mm. Panzeri founded Fight Impunity, an anti-corruption NGO anti-corruption and yet allegations concern influence peddling on behalf of Qatar and Morocco in exchange for large cash payments. Wow. Well, folks, I mean, um, you're, you're, if you're outside the UK and in Europe, you will be 
voting or not voting for these uh, scoundrels come uh, June election. So Google Qatargate when you have time, because um, it's one of those complicated scandals, but it's it, it, um, it sounds very interesting. Is our favorite Euro politician Ursula von der Leyen involved? Not so far. Wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, she could be dragged in? Uh, you know, there's certainly more than the whiff of corruption surrounding her involvement in the purchase of all those so-called vaccines. Uh, she has apparently repeatedly called on EU institutions to be, and I quote, open and beyond reproach on ethics, transparency and integrity if Europeans are to have faith in the union. And uh, mm. five years ago, she gave Commission Vice President Vera Jourova from the Czech Republic responsibility for setting up an independent ethics body common to all EU institutions. And yet, when the Qatar broke sto Qatar Gate story broke three years later, this proposal remained bogged down among EU institutions. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was in uh, Brussels some, some years ago now, I, 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 there, there were several banks in the European Parliament building. And I sometimes saw politicians literally carry in stashes of 500 euro notes and take it out. And I just didn't have the sort of wherewithal to, to question it because it's, it's difficult to be an independent journalist in Brussels and the corporate media just go to the European Commission and a lot of them are spoon fed unless they take a very anti-European stance, but that's not based on direct investigation. Uh, so I, I could sense this doesn't surprise me at all. There are a lot of scandals that are kept quiet in, in the European Union, you know. Um, uh, but then you're sort of ostracized as well. I, I just looked at your Facebook uh, page, Basil, and you know a guy called Martin Jay. And I knew him as well, actually. And um, he ran a magazine called The Sprout, which was a kind of private eye type magazine. And it spawned some of the Eurosceptics who later became the Brexit movement. And he uh, mercilessly uh, talked about scandals, financial and sexual and all, all. And he was absolutely hated in Brussels. And But there's no been no replacement for him. But at least I saw that some Belgian uh, journalists are picking up on the story. Wasn't there something about poisoning as well that you were going to talk about? Uh, no, I was going to talk about the humanitarian workers facing deportation from Israel after a freeze on visas. Okay, Israel has stopped issuing visas for international staff of humanitarian organizations working in the occupied Palestinian territories, hampering efforts to get food and other vital supplies into Gaza. Dozens of foreign aid workers, including heads of organizations, have had to leave Israel and the Palestinian territories or are overstaying their visas and risk deportation. This, mm -hmm. according to AIDA, the Association of International Development Agencies, an umbrella group representing aid agencies uh, operating in the West Bank and Gaza. And of course, this flies in the face of the requirements of the International Court of Justice to get more aid to Palestinians, but does fit neatly alongside the physical blockade of aid, uh, which uh, Israeli civil society is doing its best to impose on the crossings. So you've got a sort of pincer movement. Uh, on the mm. one hand, the Israeli state denying visas to aid staff and then uh, uh, activists and civilians blocking aid into Gaza. Uh, all this while people are starving to death 
I read yesterday about three young boys who uh, had to walk south from their home in northern Gaza because they'd mm. been eating nothing but a small loaf made from animal feed every other mm. day. So, mm. you know, the situation is absolutely desperate and Israel is only making it worse. Well, I, I was talking yesterday to a Holocaust scholar who's talking about the uh, the uh, torture of disability, disabled children in Germany, and I don't know how many were killed or starved to death or whatever, but I mean, a death is a death. So whether you kill people by a missile strike or by starving them to death, as happened in Nazi Germany in the 1930s, I mean, that's a dead child. So isn't Israel, you know, you're talking about genocide. I mean, can't we equate it talk a little bit about um israel uh doing what was done to the jews without being called anti-semitic i mean should we be allowed to talk about this basil well in my view we should certainly be allowed to talk about it pele and uh, that's exactly what amongst others uh brazilian president lula da silva has been saying he doubled down on the comparison when the israelis asked him for an apology i think it's mm. perfectly apt and uh, indeed, if the ICJ follow through on their interim ruling of a plausible genocide, it will be rubber stamped by the highest court on the planet. So mm. uh, for all the wailing of na and gnashing of teeth, a genocide is a genocide. Simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I think from, let's say, uh, wearing a left wing hat now, I could say, you know, the Holocaust has been the central event in Europe West European historiography. We stopped the Holocaust from... And, and and that's our moral basis for the West ever since, and we study it very closely. But now I think the Global South is saying, well, hang on, how many Indians starved in, in the Great Famine in 1943? How many did you Australian Aborigines did you kill? How many Palestinians and Palestinians are the Jews killed? So we're seeing a much more, everyone is dragging up old resentments now. And and the sort of Holocaust is seen by non-Europeans non, and non-Americans as perhaps not as unique as Europeans would like to see. Uh, and because we've defeated that and and we and it gives us an alibi from talking about our colonial mis, misdeeds and indeed israeli misdeeds what would you say well you know the israelis like to claim the word holocaust as referring exclusively to uh the second world war and mm. uh, as you rightly point out there have been holocaust i mean literally the word means consumed by fire so, mm. uh, you know, anywhere where sort of large numbers of people are consumed by fire one way or another can yeah. be described as a holocaust. You could describe the events in uh, Lahaina on Maui as a holocaust. Uh, right. You know, some people have conspiracy theories about how or why that uh, fire was allowed to rage for as long as it did in the way that it did. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, a lot of people were burnt alive. People are being burnt alive in Gaza. It's a horrible, well, you know, what can you say? Um, yeah, yeah. That's why uh, the American serviceman burnt himself alive in front of the uh, Israeli assembly uh, yeah, a few yeah. days ago. And um, I I'm very pleased to say that he is being turned into a hero by mm. peace campaigners. Uh, I saw pictures of other U.S. servicemen burning their uniforms in a dustbin fire on the exact spot where... Mm. Uh, where that chap died so uh that, that's a photo that for, for the history books an incredible story of that man who burnt himself to death for, uh while standing in front of the israeli embassy in washington wearing his u.s military uniform 
horrific photograph and I could barely barely look at it. Anyway, Basil, we'll have more tomorrow on the day's news. Uh, Basil, we will indeed. Thank you very much. This is TNT Radio. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. Food isn't just fuel to live, it's fuel to grow. My family relied on public assistance to help provide meals for us. These meals fueled my involvement in theater and the arts as a child, which fostered my love for acting. The Feeding America network of food banks helps millions of people put food on the table. When people are fed, futures are nourished. Join the movement to end hunger, and together we can open endless possibilities for people to thrive. Visit feedingamerica.org slash act now. Asthma is a growing problem, especially among children. Asthma affects the quality of life for millions like me every single day. My name is Chris Draft, and I have asthma. And I've spent more than a decade in the NFL tackling asthma on and off the field. Join me and the EPA in helping people control their asthma. Asthma is a lung condition that can be controlled through medication and by avoiding things that can make it worse. Three steps are the solution to controlling asthma. Step one, talk to a doctor. Step two, make a plan. And step three, get rid of things that can make it worse. Asthma can be tackled. For more information on asthma, log on to epa.gov slash asthma. Discussing national and international issues, you're listening to Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to the Pella Neuroth-Taylor show where truth resides. Uh, we are going to talk about capitalism versus socialism today. Um, you'd thought that the victory was won back in the Cold War in 1989 when uh, the uh, oppressed masses of Eastern Europe marched with their feet and voted for a market economy, but apparently it's always on the way back, even though uh, lots of people do uh, still live in uh, socialist countries and they're not an exactly an advertisement for freedom and happiness. Uh, I'm thinking of Cuba and North Korea, but of course, uh, ideas always return and uh, much of it is pushed by academia, as we talked yesterday about a guy who said that cultural Marxism is on the rise and has even in the intelligence agency takes over and, and cultural Marxism is, is a sort of cultural equivalent of the socialist instinct. And of course, socialism is, is in a way a, a deeply humanitarian instinct. This We're born with different talents and um, unfortunately, in a way, the, a meritocratic society uh, rewards inequality, even though we're most, most of us are in favor of it because uh, it just emphasizes um, how random uh, the gifts of uh, birth uh, that, that are rewarded to us. And I was very inspired when I was younger by uh, a libertarian, liberal philosopher called John Rawls, who said that we should enter this earth not knowing which position we're going to be in, whether we're going to be born in the rich West as a white male or whatever, or we're going to be born in poverty in Africa. And then we should choose a wealth distribution based on that uh, model, not knowing where we're going to end up. And uh, that would be our planet. And of course, socialism is is basically the sort of maternal part of the family unit where children are, are looked after and don't have to achieve, at least when young. And it's sort of in the Christian mentality, uh, this idea of utopia and heaven, of complete equality and justice. 
Um, so the socialist instinct is going to be with us for a long time, but I, we've got a guest, if he if he turns up, who's going to show us that, who is a sort of unapologetic booster for capitalism. And we need people like that, lest we forget, uh, lest that the, the morale, uh, the, 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 the ideas of the social equality uh, return to us. And I think that... Um, my, for me, where the debate lies is not whether you should choose socialism or capitalism, but what sort of capitalism we get. And I'm hoping that we're going to get that kind of discussion today. Uh, capitalism um, is that we've had uh, in the last 30 years has been a sort of a globalist capitalism, which accumulates uh, wealth in the, the richest 1%. Um, and they tend to favor, for instance, open borders and uh, because which creates a greater competitive pressures on labor, that is the, the working class of the West, whereas it preserves the freedom of capital. So I think there are lots of arguments to be had on the left side of the debate. Uh, what sort of capitalism we, we, we want? We have the infrastructure capitalism of, of China, which has proved very successful, uh, but that requires a centralized state, not distributing things equally as, as communist China did and, and totally stifling innovation, but using uh, the savings of the state to judiciously spend it on large infrastructure projects. Because I remember uh, Keynes was the, the leading philosopher for me in, in the 1930s, a British guy, homosexual. And he said that, you know, our economies are not just, it's not like we, if we invest, if we save money, it's actually harming the economy and we've got to spend our savings and sometimes the state needs to spend those savings for us to get the economy going. Because if you spend your money on the hairdresser, the hairdresser spends money on the plumber, and the plumber buys your newspaper for your journalist, then the economy goes round. Whereas if you hoard your money, which is virtuous on the personal level, none of that money circulates and you get a collapsing economy. And um, when I was uh, talking about Macron earlier today and his desire to have a large defence spending to get the European economy going, we're basically much poorer than the United States than we were 15 years ago. And America is now spending money on, to some extent, on, on this um, Inflation Reduction Act, I think it is, which is spending money on infrastructure projects, including uh, promoting uh, European companies that want to resettle in, in America because of the high gas prices and uh, energy prices in Europe. So to be nice to Macron, he's, he is trying to, do, to get Europe, Europe's economy going. And I think that is a kind of capitalism uh, through mass investment, even though it centralizes power on the European Commission uh, with all its corruption and that ghastly woman at the top of it. Uh, it might actually even out and create a, a rolling economy that we're having in Europe rather than this permanently impoverished southern tier and, uh, and a rich uh, Germany, which uh, benefited from cheap gas from Russia and uh, industrial exports to China and uh, purchases uh, uh, from the now impoverished Mediterranean bloc. So what I think uh, Macron wanted to do was to spend that money uh, via Eurobonds guaranteed by the German taxpayer who hates the idea, of course, and spend it on building uh, fortresses on our Eastern frontier and, uh, and become militarily independent. And um, of course, it's gonna create a permanent Cold War with Russia but it's also uh, a sort of, um, it's like the 
the rearmament carried out by uh, Hitler, if you like, or uh, Roosevelt when when the austerity projects of the Depression failed in the 1930s, the Second World War actually saved America. Of course, the Third World War, however economically virtuous it is, um, I mean, in America, they built up uh, uh, many, many, uh, California uh, built its prosperity, not just on Hollywood, but on the aviation industries that resulted from the World War II. In Europe, I just can't see us doing the same, but that's a sort of capitalist debate that uh, our next guest, I hope, uh, will bring to the table. And he is, is Rainer uh, Zietelmann, who is described himself as capitalism superstar philosopher and author of the book, How Nations Escape Poverty, Vietnam and Poland, and Origins of Prosperity. During the 20th century, Vietnam and Poland were both victims not only of devastating wars, but also of socialist planned economies that destroyed whatever war hadn't already. In 1990, Vietnam was still one of the poorest countries in the world, while Poland was one of the poorest in Europe. Uh, but the three decades since then have drastically improved citizens' standards of living and escaped this vicious cycle of poverty. So that's socialism versus capitalism. I think that debate has already been won, but we will see what he has to say about the two different kinds of capitalism I just uh, out, uh, outlined. Anyway, uh, we'll be back after a break. This is TNT Radio. Weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. So here's an interesting little tidbit. The month of February in the United States has had 132 all-time record highs. Now, let's assume 100 years ago, it was just as warm as the weather that has set these all-time record highs. How many stations do you think would have had record highs? See what I'm saying? There are a lot more stations established across the United States now than there were 100 years ago, than there were 50 years ago, than there were 20 years ago. Some of the stations that broke their all-time record highs have had historical records of only 30 to 40 years. Now, that does not mean it was not an impressive display of warmth in the month of February. But let's say these record highs occurred just a couple of days ago. Well, most of the places that had those record highs had 40 to 60 degree temperature drops in the following couple of days. We've got wildfires going on in the Texas Panhandle where it's likely to snow tomorrow night at least at times, it may snow into Dallas tomorrow night. So the weather is capable of wild swings. Now that is still a fantastic fact that 132 all-time record highs were set in the month of February in the United States. However, you still have to put it in perspective. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home, 
and around the world. We can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. Discussing national and international issues. You're listening to Pella Neuroth Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to the Pella Neuroth Taylor Show. And we are going to talk for a couple of minutes about different kinds of capitalism. Uh, the other guest uh, wasn't able to log on for some reason, but we've got with us the excellent Lembit Opik, who is a, uh, a liberal Democrat politician in the UK. And uh, we discovered that we've been to the same university and uh, he was, where he was head of the students' union. So his name has always stood out for me because it's uh, of Estonian origin. And I worked in Estonia for a bit after graduating, so we could talk about that. But Lembit, mm-hmm. just to keep a, a kind of uh, a theme of this today's talk, uh, welcome, Lembit. Can you can you tell us what sort of capitalism will work then? I mean, is it a financial capitalism? Is it an infrastructure investment capitalism? Something in between? There are two, two axes in politics, in my view. There's the social authoritarian libertarian axis, which is the one that I think politicians can make a positive difference to. And then there's the economic uh, left or capitalist socialist axis. My judgment is, uh, and where I would put myself is on the capitalist side of the center. Uh, I think the more you try to create a command economy, uh, the more artificial it becomes. Uh, I've watched, especially in recent years in the United Kingdom, successive governments wreck the economy, ruin the economy. Mm. When they take Mm. their hands off the levers, things seem to recover. And what I think the natural outcome is, if you just leave people to do it for themselves, is a kind of benevolent capitalism, slightly entrepreneurial, uh, with a bit of a helping hand for those who can't make it. Mm. I mean, it's amazing that the Tories are now presiding over one of the highest tax burdens we've ever seen. And I'm not sure that's what people voted for. Uh, whereas, and, and Liz Truss was trying to break the mold, but of course she's excoriated for, for a lot of things. Are you saying that Liz Truss had some of the right ideas about uh, deregulation and, and taxes? Yes, I actually trained her when she was a student activist in the Liberal Democrats. So maybe I have mm-hmm. to take some of the responsibility for her. Tell, tell seven, us, do you tell us? No, that's interesting. Yeah, seven disastrous weeks. Well, she was perfectly. Uh, okay as as a, an activist i would never have expected her to make it to prime minister but the thing that people don't say it's not popular to say in the united kingdom about liz truss who was the shortest serving prime minister in british history was this she tried to change the way things were operating but the establishment was so strong and her leadership skills were so weak that she was pushed out at the same time what happened was the exceptionally low interest rates which i think were a good thing uh, Mm -hmm. were immediately usurped got rid of because the banks wanted to get rid of those anyway they weren't making that much money at one or two percent interest rate so essentially this trust's weak leadership uh, let capitalism run amok and that's an example Mm -hmm. of what happens when you have no controls at all so what sort of controls should we have i mean because very few, I mean, we need the rule of law. Do you believe in a night watchman state? I mean, we need policemen, we need a rule of law, and we need a, a state to look after the weakest people, do we not? Yes, so, uh, yes, to all, yeah. yes to all of that. Yeah. Uh, my, my feeling is that from a social perspective, we should prevent active harm from being meted out to, th- to others. I don't think we should have a police state that stops you causing offence because offence is such a relativistic thing. When it comes to the economic policies, I would like to see the state 
owning the Bank of England in terms of the decisions made there. I think it was a terrible mistake to remove mm -hmm. that lever of control from uh, the government because the government could have kept the interest rates low if it had the power to do it. I think mm -hmm. that you put your finger on the button of irony there, that the Conservative Party is presided over the highest tax burden that the country's ever seen. Uh, and this is mm -hmm. meant to be from an entrepreneurial government. So we now have a uni party. The Labour Conservative distinction is almost irrelevant, meaningless now. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by the problems we have when politicians meddle in economics. I did economics for a year, actually, at Bristol before right. I moved to philosophy. And I realized right. it was more of a pseudoscience than a social science. Uh, and yeah. I think that we've, we've got uneducated pseudoscientists running our country. I mean, but th there was all this talk before Brexit of, of a Singapore on Thames. And now even the right wing papers are saying that was never going to be on anyway. Uh, for, for given Britain. So they, they were sold a, a lie, weren't they? But what was the best option then for Britain, given Britain's? Because I think a lot of the Labour um, sort of working class of the, the, the Red Wall or whatever you call it, they voted for, for Brexit because they wanted more of a social democratic society, didn't they? I mean, uh, they didn't want this turbo globalization led from London and financialization of the economy. And they wanted less immigration, obviously, because they see immigration as a as a tool of the right to to weaken uh, their bargaining power with employers or something. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what was the best option for Britain? I mean, if, if all the Brexit debate had been conducted honestly, what would the different sides have said? If it was conducted honestly, they would both have said, we can make either work. It's a matter of competence. We could have made staying in the European Union work if Britain was more willing to wag the dog of the terrible sclerotic European bureaucracy, which simply wants to impose the dead hand of authoritarianism across the, the continent. But we didn't choose that route. We could have made Brexit work by saying, we will go it alone. We won't be bullied by Brussels, we'll be smart in our negotiations, but neither of those things have happened. So in the utopia that you asked me to portray, I'd say, first of all, accept that the public wanted Brexit, make Britain the independent island state, the bridge between the Far East and the West, mm. uh, have an airport called Manston, which is lying dormant as the the hub for Chinese and, and, and Far Eastern business to come here, uh, turn mm. to Brussels and say, if you don't cooperate with us, we're going to make it so difficult for you, then Italy and Greece will be emboldened to leave the European Union too. But we don't have that strength. We don't have this, the quality of politicians to do that. So what we're going to get is this blamange outcome with high tax, low growth, uh, no real difference between Labour and Conservative, and an increasingly dissatisfied electorate who are looking to other parties, such as Reform UK, to express their displeasure. Mm. Okay. I mean, I'm not an economist, but just to tie up with what I was saying in my introduction to the, today's show is this, this idea of Eurobonds, which I understand is very popular with the French bureaucratic elite because it'll allow infrastructure projects. But of course, it'll put taxpayers in hock for decades. Uh, isn't that the sort of thing that seems to have worked in China or even worked in 19th century America uh, before we went over this financial capitalism that doesn't seem to be so productive? spend money on, uh, on 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 railways and things like that. I mean, isn't that a good idea? Isn't the Chinese model something to emulate, even if it's a yeah. one-party state? Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I actually have a lot of admiration for China uh, because I worked there for a bit. And what they do, they set targets across 30 or 40 years and they fulfill them. They will soon be mm -hmm. the largest economy in the world. Uh, two examples for you, right? China is, knows exactly what it's doing and it's not hobbling its economy by this ludicrous pretense of a climate emergency. They're making the carbon dioxide uh, that comes with 
manufacturing everything for us because we don't want to make the carbon dioxide. And the second example is Japan. Japan lives with a huge national debt, but it's doing all right. Uh, we've got the worst of both worlds. We chucked half a trillion into the COVID uh, mess uh, for mm. no real benefit. And uh, we haven't got a proper economic policy and we don't have real choices here either because I can't see the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, doing a better job. He'll probably do a worse job than what we've got. Mm. And that's going some. So really, my advice to the government would be just let the economy look after itself, try and bring the taxes down and stop pontificating about the environment because that'll cost us tens of billions. Uh, Lembit, I, I, I don't know, how did you... Um... Grew up, grew up in the your parents left Estonia. I used I used to work there actually, uh, <laughs> and um, so obviously national security issues are now coming to the uh, fore very much because the the the, the decline of uh, Russian gas imports has led to some of these high prices. What what do you think of uh, the Estonian approach to to Russia? I mean, they they want basically nonstop confrontation. This is a country of one million people. Do you think they're being wise to do that, or would you? Would you think, uh, caution them? I, 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 well, if they were being provocative, I would say don't poke the bear. But actually, they're mm. smarter than that. A third of uh, people living in Estonia are Russians. And it's only when the rest of the West gets involved when things get hot for the Estonians. But as they said to me, Estonia is probably not going to be nuked because they're too close to Russia. They'll watch the missiles going overhead. Uh, wow. They like to be Western, but they'd like to get on with the East. And that's a fairly start, smart approach. Well, and I'd recommend that. It's very good because, I mean, uh, the leaders of those countries are very hawkish. But when I was there a few years ago, I found that people were much more pragmatic. Anyway, Lemit Erpik, uh, an Estonian-born uh, former MP and politician and a radical and interesting thinker. Thank you very much. This is TNT Radio. See you soon. Thank you. Bye, Lemit.